It's time to get in the zone. The Fantasy Football Zone. Hey guys, where else would you rather be? Get involved with the show by following us on Twitter at DraftThatGuy. What a piece of that championship. Put it in here. This is the Fantasy Football Zone. Welcome back into the Fantasy Football Zone. This is PJ. Thank you so much again for taking some time out of your schedule and joining us here. Hopefully we can help you out with those roster decisions for your fantasy football team as we get ready for Week 8. Again, a lot of injuries in Week 7. A lot of big-name injuries. Obviously, the Mahomes injury, the situation in Arizona with David Johnson, the Lions backfield now with the carry-on Johnson gone. We're going to tackle all that and then some with rotowire.com's Joe Bartle coming up in a couple minutes. But first, we're going to get defensive. Yes, the New England defense, one of the top scorers in fantasy this year. I mean, they are outscoring some of the big name running backs right now with their daily, their uh, weekly outputs. It's amazing right now what they're doing. And I know there's a lot of talk. Well, they haven't played anybody. Well, the problem is you play your schedule. So, I mean, that's that's who they got to play. And they've been putting up dominant numbers, putting up some big time points. And coming up with this Week 8 matchup against Cleveland, they have a chance, to, again, to continue their uh, record-breaking pace they're on right now. They lead the league in both points per game for the offense with 31.9 and points against. Again, that defense just giving up 6.9 points per game. So against Cleveland coming up this Sunday, the Patriots could become the first team to average more than 30 points per game and allow fewer than 10 points per game through eight games of a season since the 1962 Green Bay Packers. Additionally, New England's point differential at plus 175. It's the second highest at this point of a season in NFL history, trailing only the 1920 Buffalo All-Americans. Yes, we're going back to the 1920 Buffalo All-Americans, who had a plus 218 differential there. So with a win on Sunday, New England can continue the historic uh, point differential pace they're on and jump into the top five NFL history through the first eight games of the season. And that defense, again, a big reason why they're off to this hot start in New England once again. Russell Wilson. Now, again, this might be one of those fantasy things. A lot of people look at this, okay, it's an away game. I I don't like starting players, especially maybe Russell. I mean, he's been better this year. He's been fantastic. A bounce back year for him for sure. But sometimes when guys go on the road, we get a little iffy about them and uh, they're not going to put up a big performance. Russell Wilson's thrown that theory out the window because dating back to week eight of last year, he has thrown 16 touchdown passes and zero interceptions in his past seven starts on the road and a streak of eight consecutive road games with a passer rating of 110 or higher is the longest such streak in NFL history with at least one touchdown pass and zero interceptions on Sunday against Atlanta. And there's a good chance of that happening because Atlanta's defense is terrible. Wilson would surpass Tom Brady and Nick Foles with the most consecutive row games with at least one touchdown pass and zero interceptions. So again, Russell Wilson, this is a great pace for him on the road, continues to play awesome, and yeah, it's been a great bounce back year for him in fantasy. So obviously you're starting Houston Texans wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins. He's got a chance though this Sunday to have a huge game against Oakland and join an elite list as well. And sometimes when players see that, an opportunity, yeah, they're for the team, but uh, they see that opportunity as well and they step up their game and it could be a huge one for DeAndre Hopkins coming up this Sunday. Since he entered the league in 2013, he ranks second in the NFL in touchdown receptions with 50 
third in catches with 577 and receiving yards with 7,945. Hopkins, who's going to be 27 years and 143 days old on Sunday, needs just 55 receiving yards against Oakland to become the third youngest player to reach 8,000 career receiving yards in NFL history. And on that list, he would surpass Calvin Johnson. Yes, Megatron he would surpass if he breaks this record on Sunday. Only ahead of him, Larry Fitzgerald and Randy Moss. So some pretty elite names, Hall of Famers there. So again, DeAndre Hopkins, big record he can achieve, 8,000 yards if he just gets 55 coming up this Sunday against the Raiders. And finally, we're going to talk about the rookie class of 2019 so far. Yes, uh, they've been putting up some historical numbers so far. You may not have noticed it because, yeah, some of them aren't big, gaudy monster numbers, but uh, they're on some pretty incredible paces. We're going to go through that right now, including Jaguars quarterback Gardner Minshew. Yes, the guy that wasn't even drafted, basically, in any league. Uh, the six-round draft pick. His passer rating has been fantastic the last couple of games. Yeah, he had a little setback last week, but so far Minshew leads NFL rookies in both passer rating with 95.7, touchdown passes with 10. It's only the second time in NFL history which a rookie quarterback has compiled a 95 or better passer rating and 10 or more touchdown passes through seven weeks. The last guy to do that? Houston's Deshaun Watson. He had a 103 rating and 19 touchdowns through seven games in 2017. So Gardner Minshew putting himself in pretty good company there with that one. Minshew not the only rookie making a big mark so far in 2019. Lots of other rookies as well. In fact, the 100th season is the only campaign in NFL history in which a rookie through seven weeks of play has at least rushed for 550 rushing yards. Josh Jacobs on that pace with 554. Has at least 400 receiving yards. Terry McLaurin of Washington with 419. Has five or more overall touchdowns. Terry McLaurin's got five of those. At least two interceptions on the defensive end. Devin Bush of Pittsburgh and Ryan Conley of the Giants. And has at least five sacks. That's Josh Allen in Jacksonville. So these rookies, again, they are uh, this 2019 draft class really panning out, putting up some numbers and on some historical paces to kick off this NFL season as we are almost to the halfway point. Send your sit or start questions into the zone on Twitter at DraftThatGuy. This is the Fantasy Football Zone. Fantasy Football Zone podcast continues right now being joined by RotoWire.com's Joe Bartle. Joe, great to have you here in the Fantasy Football Zone. Yeah, I'm excited to do this uh, for the rest of the season. Obviously, filling in for Jerry, who's been fantastic. Uh, as much as I am a company man in terms <laughs> of working with RotoWire and everything else, I love reading whatever Jerry does in his work. So it'll be some pretty large shoes to fill. But I'm looking forward to talking some fantasy with you guys. Yeah, him and his uh, hidden stat lines, it's taken up a lot of time. I know that. I mean, to, to research all those games, I mean, that's that's insane and the great stuff he finds in there. So good job, Jerry. Keep it up. And, yeah, we're going to definitely be taking some stuff from him uh, here. We're getting ready here. Big deadline is coming up, the trade deadline. Now, again, in, in the past years now, the NFL is trying to hype this thing up as, like, the NBA and the MLB trade deadlines. And already we've had some big moves this week. Emmanuel Sanders getting traded from Denver to the San Francisco, Mohamed Sanu from Atlanta to uh, New England. So what do you think of those deals initially here and uh, the fantasy implications of those? Yeah, you'll have to forgive me as I continue to talk my cold that seems to always surface around this uh, end of October, early November time period will get worse. So <laughs> I'll be going through the world's worst uh, voice changer at this moment, or at least as we continue out the podcast. But You sound better being... than the Monday Night Football crew, so we're already doing good there. <laughs> All right, fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, I was I was interested um, as a Packers fan first and foremost. 
I was really hoping that we could get Mohamed Sanu. I think of the receivers, Alan Lazard, obviously, Devontae Adams is hurt, but MVS or Marquez Villas-Scantling, you can envision a scenario where all three of those guys are on the outside at one point or another, where the slot is uh, a weak point for the Packers. I thought that Sanu would fit that perfectly. Of course, a second-round pick is a pretty high price to pay, but if it's the Patriots, it's probably pick number 64 overall in the draft because it's almost assured they're going to win the Super Bowl again for the upteenth time in the last 10 or 15 years. So yeah. it's a frustrating aspect. and It sounded like the Patriots have been hot and bothered to try and get Sanu this offseason around the draft time. They were interested in acquiring according to Adam Schefter, and even when he was a free agent in 2016, they also extended an offer for him. I, it's almost assured he's going to run a trick play when the Patriots get into the playoffs. That's about as easy money as you could bet right now if you could. But I don't know what his role fantasy-wise is going to be in that Patriots offense. Other than Amari Cooper, in recent years, you look at the receivers that were traded, and they just haven't done all that well on their new teams, at mm-hmm. least early in the season. Yeah. Golden Tate was a prime example of that last year. where A lot of people are anticipating mm-hmm. that he fits into the Eagles' offense and, and makes it better, and it really never occurred. I wonder if Sanu is more of a safety net for if Julian Edelman were to get hurt. Obviously, he has concussion problems. Uh, throughout his career, he is on the wrong side of 32 now, I think. And he's a pretty big, important factor of their offense. And Sanu would probably fit him pretty perfectly if Edelman were to go out. But Josh Gordon, Nikhil Harry is coming back soon. Those are outside receiver guys. And yes, both have uh, injury concerns, but I don't think Sanu fits in there. So it'll be interesting to see. I think the, the high price of pick would lead you to suggest the Patriots will incorporate him more. But I feel like they've been doing okay with the Phil set and the Josh Gordons, the Harry's the world on the outside, where Sanu probably is more of a factor intermittently throughout the season. Sanders is also a concern for me, too, now. The 49ers didn't pay that high of a price for him, but their receiving core is young. You would imagine talented, though. At least I thought entering the year, mm-hmm. a combination of Dante Pettis, Marquise Goodwin, and Debo Samuel was going to do some things offensively, and that just has not occurred at all this year. It's been ground and pound, and it's been defensively beating people, and I just don't know if Sanders makes that big of a difference. In fact, his veteran presence might make a bigger deal for those younger receivers than it really is for Sanders and his fantasy value. So both these guys are interesting trades, and I like to view it from the NFL perspective as well as the fantasy one, but I think in the case of the win conditions for the 49ers and Patriots, that's where it makes more of a, 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 a bigger difference, as I should say, than the fantasy value. Exactly right. And you made a great point there with uh, trading receivers at the trade deadline. Yeah, Golden Tate, you look at that last year. When you, when he went to Philadelphia, you thought, boy, this is going to be a great fit for him. And nothing really evolved, and especially fantasy-wise, that did not turn out to be the case. So, again, you just got to watch out, uh, you know, not buy too much stock into these guys getting traded, meaning, oh, their they're values are going to go through up. I mean, teams are on different systems. Those wide receivers got to get used to that system, those route trees and all that. So, I mean, Great point there. Now, what are some of the other names to watch for before the trade? I know A.J. Green's name keeps on popping up out there, but, uh, I mean, if Sanu is going for a second-round pick, i got to imagine that's a first-round pick, and that's got to be a heavy cost. So what other names do you see out there at the trade deadline that uh, could be gone? Yeah, that's exactly my thought process, too. And maybe a team like the Bills, who've been aggressive in trading, would be interested in getting a receiver. And A.J. Green, at least on the outside, makes sense, along with John Brown and and Cole Beasley, Beasley being their slot receiver. But they have some young guys, Duke Williams in particular, who they like quite a bit. And when you're trying to like plan out, okay, what team would trade a first-round pick that's in a win-heavy-now mode for A.J. Green, it, it just is a slim margin. So I wouldn't be surprised if he goes for less than that. And there's a lot of injury concerns coupled with the fact that he wants a new contract. So mm-hmm. in real sense, it makes – I mean, it's 
it's possible that Green does go for less than Mohamed Sanu. As weird as that would look on paper, like there's a lot of other extenuating circumstances that probably lessen Green's value. As a Packers fan, I, I do want to get a receiver at the trade deadline, or at least I hope the Packers are interested in acquiring and stepping around. I would not want to pay anything more than a third-round pick for A.J. Green at this point, and I just doubt that he goes for that little of a price tag. So you look at other guys out there. I just tweeted this out earlier. If you're the Giants and you see that Mohamed Sanu just went for a second-round pick, essentially Emmanuel Sanders for a third-round pick, why are you still holding on to Golden Tate? Yeah. I get that you signed him in the offseason. Like, that totally makes sense. You sat through suspension, whatever else. Dave Gettleman has weird ways of building his roster, and signing Golden Tate this offseason was one of the weirder ones. But now there's actually value at the water receiver spot for a lot of different teams out there. A second or third round pick for a guy that is in an okay contract, given his role, and you imagine is still going to be a prominent member for the next two or three years on whatever team he's in, that makes a lot of sense to me. So like, I, I look at Golden Tate and I'm like, well, maybe, maybe he could get traded. I could see that happening, too. Like, the Seahawks, in particular, are probably one slot receiver away from doing something pretty, pretty good, and the Giants aren't going anywhere at least right now. So that's an interesting name to monitor, uh, at least in my, video, or my mind, for other guys out there that could be traded. Now, I'll go to the one because he did hold out, and he was, you know, he was looking for a new contract. Ain't going to happen, it looks like. Uh, Melvin Gordon, should the Chargers deal him now or should they hold on to him? Because I, I don't know what the value would be because it sounds like it would just be a, a rental situation. Yeah, you and I are both uh, UW-Madison stands right now, so we're we're still feeling the effects of the uh, loss to the fighting alliance. Don't mention that. Yeah. Upsets. Yeah. Well, sorry, Eric. Too late. I'm, I'm so upset about it, so I can I can be allowed to vent yeah. on air about it. Um, <laughs> so yeah. So obviously we understand what Melvin Gordon can be probably more than most people. But obviously Melvin Gordon's a, a pretty darn good running back in the NFL. Has not looked great this season, and it's to the point where the Chargers' offense has been significantly more effective when Austin Eckler was taking the carries and as a receiving back and. Justin Jackson kind of filling in as that secondary role. Melvin Gordon just hasn't been able to do that this year. And I don't, I, it seems like from all the quotes that we hear from Los Angeles that he's still playing plenty hard, that he's very disappointed with his performance. It's not a, oh, he's dragging his feet around because he didn't get his contract. I think he wants to do well and just hasn't been. And I don't know if a change of scenery makes that big of a difference. The Chargers lost uh, Mike Pouncey. They now lost Forrest Lamp, and they've also been without Russell Okun for this entire season. That offensive line, as a result, is probably one of the worst in the NFL, and it's not making things easier for Melvin Gordon. I don't think the offensive scheme, which kind of revolves around really just Keenan Allen, Hunter Henry, Mike Williams, it's easier to key on the other guys, whether it be Austin Eckler or Melvin Gordon, because there just isn't a lot that you have to worry about when it comes to receiving threats for the Chargers. I could see Melvin Gordon getting traded. However, the Patrick Mahomes injury might have made things just a slight bit easier for the Chargers to sneak in as the sixth seed in the AFC. I was looking at different teams that have a a chance, and you have to imagine right now, Bills are going to be the number five seed. Of course, they're in the AFC East. The Patriots have that division basically locked up already through six weeks. Stop me if that's the last time we've heard that. I mean, that feels like for every yeah. single season that they're that they've coached already at this point of the year. Bills probably have the number five seed. That number six seed, though, there's a lot of teams right now, whether it be maybe a Cleveland Browns that sneak up. You could see the Steelers, even with a second string quarterback, maybe make an opportunity for that. The AFC South has the front runner, so to speak, whether it be the Texans or Colts as the last spot. But the Raiders and Chargers also have an opportunity. Like the Raiders just trade away a cornerback yep. for a third round pick this past week. So it seems like they're kind of bowing out of that playoff race. Mm-hmm. The Chargers still have aspirations. I wonder if they feel like they need to have Melvin Gordon. 
in order for that to occur. I don't know. That, that's, that's my only concern with a, a Melvin Gordon trade. Once again, being joined by rotowire.com's Joe Bartle joining us here on the show. And again, injuries a big thing in Week 7. As you mentioned, the Chiefs, Mahomes, the big one, the Lions, the Falcons, even the Cardinals so with David Johnson's situation there. We'll start with the Chiefs here with the Mahomes injury. We know Matt Moore is going to be stepping in. Obviously not the name you want there, but uh, does this offense still keep running along? I mean, they've got the matchup against the Packers. Uh, Sunday night. I mean, it's at Kansas City. That's the thing in their favor, but definitely a big drop off there. Yeah, absolutely. And Mahomes was the fifth highest scoring quarterback in fantasy uh, as of third or as of this week, and probably would have been closer to second or third if he had played the entire game against the Broncos. This is obviously a pretty big hit to Mahomes owners who drafted him super early, and one of the reasons why I think myself and many other fantasy experts out there were saying, don't take a quarterback early. Of course, you don't want to assume an injury could happen, but regression and everything else, it just makes it so so much more likely that even guys that are taken as the 7th, 8th, ninth overall quarterbacks can get close to a Mahomes-type production for a simply less cost. So this is, this is an unfortunate reminder of why taking quarterbacks so early is generally not a good approach in fantasy. I'm not necessarily ready to write off Matt Moore, though, this week. He has all the weapons, right? Whether Sammy Watkins plays or not, really makes no difference to me. Andy Reid, as a head coach, and certainly with an extended time to plan for his next opponent, is a weapon more so than just about any other coach in the NFL, and I think that's going to be a big difference. I could see Damian Williams and LaShawn McCoy stepping up a little bit more. Maybe Travis Kelsey gets even more involved, but Tyreek Hill's speed is going to be a problem for the Packers' defense. And, oh, by the way, they also have probably the second or third fastest player in the league, Michael Harbin, who could be a cause for trepidation as well in the Packers' secondary. The Packers have been okay defensively, and I think that they're still going to be able to get their pass rush going, whether it be Preston Smith or Darius Smith coming off the edge. I do have some concerns, though, that if they can't get pressure, they basically have to rely on turnovers to be able to stop teams. And we saw that last week with the Raiders. They were able to move up and down the field. Both teams had over 400 yards of offense. It was just Derek Carr either throwing a pick that was tipped in the end zone or having that unfortunate fumble that really kind of turned the whole outcome of the game on its head. And I, you look at the, the games the Packers have played recently, the Lions similarly, uh, and the Eagles as well in the Thursday night contest, they were able to move the ball, and just, it was the lack of turnovers and sacks that made a difference. This is in Kansas City, and I think Matt Moore might be able to have some success. Like, if you compare other free agent quarterbacks available right now in fantasy, the Joe Flacco's of the world, uh, maybe the Mason Rudolph's of the world, I would much rather have Matt Moore in those scenarios, and I'm not necessarily going to bench the Tyree Kills just because the Patrick Mahomes injuries happen. Like, I think Moore can do enough to make this game pretty competitive, and at least fantasy-wise, it's going to be a good one. To the uh, Detroit backfield situation now, on Johnson had the knee surgery. He's on IR. Ty Johnson, one of the big pickups, waiver wires. But again, I, I'm still very cautious about that pickup because uh, this is a Matt Patricia system, and if we know anything from a former New England coach, they like to use multiple running backs. So I, I can't bank too much on that. What do you make of it and your thoughts of this uh, Lions backfield now? Yeah, I actually have a, a completely different take now. Okay. I was all in on on Johnson. I think I was in 13 fantasy Leagues either redraft, dynasty, whatever else this year. And six of them were carry on Johnson I owned. I, but besides Ronald Jones and Lamar Jackson, that was the third highest guy that I owned across all leagues. So this is a pretty brutal injury for me, um, obviously. And I, I imagine for other fantasy owners out there, because carry on Johnson was second, third, or fourth round pick, depending on when you're drafting mm-hmm. in August. So, yeah, I actually think Ty Johnson's going to be right up there. Like if you were saving your waiver wire budget or you had a high waiver wire priority claim, 
I don't know what else you're waiting for. Like, this is the time to go ahead and use that budget. This is not Saquon Barkley where you might think he's out three to four weeks max. One of them was a bye week. And then, oh, then he's superhuman and comes back in two weeks and Wayne Gallman becomes useless. And the Giants also had a pretty difficult schedule when that happened. You look ahead with the Lions schedule and the way the offense has been rolling under Matthew Stafford, there's a very realistic possibility that even one of those four Marvin Jones touchdowns from last week go to carry on Johnson if he was available and active in that game. Like, I think they're able to move the ball pretty effectively, and they're going to, especially this week against the Giants, who really are one of the worst defenses, I think, in the NFL. So, yes, the Patriots, in truth, have been using a ton of different running backs out there. They haven't operated under that pretense with Matt Patricia, though. Like, carry on Johnson was getting... 60, 70, 80% of the snaps and targets and everything else as soon as two weeks ago. So mm-hmm. I, I think that J.D. McKissick probably factors in a little bit as the receiving threat in the PPR leagues, like deeper ones, 12 to 14. I could see him being a waiver wire pickup, but Ty Johnson still had four targets last week. He's going to get at least 12 to 15 carries, and you know they're going to use him in the red zone, and if he falls into the end zone, boom, you probably had already return a value despite what you're using on your fridge and wire bridge and wire budgets or pickups. So, yeah, I like Ty Johnson quite a bit, and I think that he's probably the highest uh, waiver wire budget guy that you would have done this season. Like, all those receivers in week one, the John Rosses, the Marquise yeah. Browns, the Terry <laughs> McLaurins, they were great. They, they've done fantastic. Yeah. But this this is the time to use your budget or your waiver wire priority if you have it and you've been waiting, because I don't think there's going to be a better situation that comes around. A big one in Atlanta. I mean, they've been a terrible team. If they don't have Matt Ryan at quarterback, they're going to get even more worse than they are because, I mean, believe it or not, Ryan was up there. Uh, he could have broken a record last week for most 300-yard games to start a season out. I mean, that's how on fire he has been despite how awful their record is. I mean, his prospects for Sunday not looking good, and definitely uh, your thoughts on that affecting the passing game and the already a, a struggling Falcons team. Yeah, I think he's also leading the league in passing yards, yes. which, is, which is pretty incredible. and. I don't see why the Falcons would choose to throw Matt Ryan out there in a game that they probably weren't going to win anyhow, even if he was healthy, against the Seahawks, who looked to be, besides really last week's... It felt like just a weird circumstance overall, pick six and everything else. Mm-hmm. Lost the Ravens. I still think the Seahawks are one of the best teams in the NFC. So you have to imagine Russell Wilson and company are going to handle business, regardless of Ryan's health. I wouldn't trot him out there against that pass rush, and I think that's a, that's a concern that some people should have. Uh, you know, like Julio Jones, Kelvin Ridley. I think the Mohamed Sanu trade, we talked about that earlier, this actually makes a bigger difference for Kelvin Ridley and his fantasy value because if Matt Ryan's healthy, that's just less targets going to what was a pretty good receiver in Sanu and more than likely going to Kelvin Ridley because you don't imagine Julio Jones is going to have a significant step up. I like the Seahawks defense quite a bit as maybe the top fantasy defense, even more so than the Steelers against the Dolphins on Monday night. If uh, Matt Schaub is under center for the Falcons instead of the or I'm sorry, instead of Matt Ryan, so yeah, yeah. this is it's going to be interesting to monitor. I, I cannot imagine why the Falcons would put Matt Ryan out there, even if he could play. Like an 80 percent healthy Matt Ryan just seems like a waste against a team that you're probably going to end up losing to anyway. So I think Matt Schaub's going to be playing, and that really hurts the value of Julio Jones and Kelvin Ridley. We don't know if Devonta Freeman's going to get suspended either. That's like another yeah. talking point altogether. Yep. Given he punched Aaron Donald's helmet, not his head, because why would an NFL player do that? No, he punched no. his helmet. Yeah. Uh, and that could warrant a one-game suspension, too. Edo Smith is already ruled out for this game, so they'd be down to their third-string running back 
let's just say I'd feel very comfortable betting on the Seahawks this week if uh, I was out there looking at any different lines that may or may not be available. And uh, we'll go to Arizona now, the David Johnson situation where uh, Cliff Kingsbury basically said he just, just didn't feel right and took him out of the game, and then Chase Edmonds blows up as a huge game against the Giants. What do we do now? Because now they sign Alfred Morris as well, so it sounds like, Johnson, this, this injury is a little more significant than they're leading on to be. I know Chase Edmonds has been a big pickup this week as well, if, if you didn't pick him up earlier. Going forward here for uh, the Cardinals, what do we expect? Yeah, I wish the Rotoware bosses would use the David Johnson playing time on me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. uh, well, he could he could have been healthy to go ahead and talk yeah. to the broadcast today, but uh, we'll give him five minutes and then toss him the back about there. That'd be great, especially yeah. with my cold going on today. <laughs> Unfortunately, nobody else gets to deal with those similar circumstances that the NFL does. Yes, yeah. that was a very frustrating situation uh, if you were a David Johnson owner. In fact, I was in, I think, three different leagues, but due to roster construction, bye weeks, and just ineptitude on my part, I also had to start. Uh, I also had to start Chase Edmonds, so it worked ah, out in the end. Okay. <laughs> and I know most people didn't have that luxury. It's a weird situation overall. I'm not worried about Alfred Moore signing whatsoever. That's one of those bad decisions that bad front offices do. Like you wouldn't ever <laughs> see the Patriots go ahead yeah. and sign Alfred Moore if those guys get hurt. Like, what's the point of having a slow, old, bad running back backing up? guys that are hurt in an offense where you would you need your guys to be receiving threats mm-hmm. out of the backfield. That's like literally the exact opposite of how to describe Alfred Morris. So I'm not looking into that any more than I think anybody should be. Chase Edmonds obviously is one of the top pickups, but I imagine he's now, at least as of Tuesday, he was over 50% owned in Yahoo League. So mm-hmm. he's probably not available in most formats. I think you have to be hopeful if you are a David Johnson owner that Chase Edmonds does something uh, and hopefully you have him as a backup. But I could see a scenario where even if David Johnson's healthy, you use both of them. Like It's possible with how they use their running backs that David Johnson, Chase Edmonds, Larry Fitzgerald, and you know Christian Kirk or someone else are your four best players on offense, and they throw out at least five receivers or running backs every single play. Why not just have your four best guys out there? And I think Edmonds and Johnson both qualify under that kind of ideal. So, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see what David Johnson's health is going to be the Cardinals got a lot of pushback as an organization for that, and Cliff Kingsbury's quotes didn't really help matters either. Not that an NFL organization is going to bend to the fantasy whims yes. of people out there, but they did kind of look bad in, in the sense that they said, oh, yeah, well, we could have used David Johnson if he's healthy. Well, then why did you throw him out there in the first series and not any other time throughout the rest of the game? Mm-hmm. It, it was weird, and I think they probably won't end up doing that again despite the fact that Sure, it makes some sense from an NFL level strategically. And again, we're talking with RotoWire.com's Joe Bartle joining us. We're getting ready for now for those Week 8 matchups. All right, we'll start off running back position. Who are two guys you're really looking forward to big things this week? At times you would say, okay, James Conner, right, going against the, the Dolphins' defense. But yes. I don't think we really know what James Conner's health status is quite yet. Of course, the Steelers had a bye week. You have to imagine that whatever quad injury was limiting him is going to be done, but we haven't really got word on that yet. So, if you have James Conner, just make sure you understand. Like, we have a Benny Snell potential pickup out there available, and I think Snell could do really well in that scenario. I do kind of like Marlon Mack's opportunity against the Broncos' defense. Now, we saw on Thursday night with the Chiefs that they could still move the ball pretty effectively, even with a backup quarterback. That Broncos' defense isn't what it's been two, three, four years ago, but I do think they could stop the pass. At some point, the Colts are going to have to move the ball. I could see Marlon Mack getting an opportunity to find his win the end zone or break off a a few couple 10-plus yard runs, and that's really what you're looking for right now as a, at the running back position with both 
the Ravens with Mark Ingram and Ezekiel Elliott on by. Like, that's really all it takes to have two of those top guys out and have an opportunity. The other one I think is Leonard Fournette, too, and he's been a top-10 fantasy running back option now for multiple weeks. But against the Jets' defense, Gardner Minshew had a little bit of a step back this week, and I, I think it's possible that they might be giving him more to Fournette and letting him do his thing against the Jets' defense that the Jaguars should be able to beat. So I, I like those three guys as people that might be able to perform or outperform their projected totals this week. At wide receiver position, whose uh, matchups you like this week, a couple of those guys? Yeah, I'm trying not to go after some of the top targets, but it sure looks great for DeAndre Hopkins against the Raiders that yep. were eviscerated by absolutely no-name receivers for the Packers this past week. And that goes back to Deshaun Watson, too. I think he'll be one of the top quarterback options out there. I don't think a guy like Marvin Jones is going to go ahead and go four touchdowns or whatever else, but I do like both Kenny Galladay and Jones to be able to go a little bit above their projected totals. We talked about Ty Johnson, J.D. McKissick. I do think they'll do fine. But if the Lions are going to win this game and still have any hopes of contending in the NFC, it's going to be through Matthew Stafford's arm passing the ball. And that giant secondary just is dreadful. So I could see both of them getting 75-plus yards, and at least one of them or both of them, quite frankly, scoring a touchdown. So I like that. I also think uh, D.J. Chark might be able to do something again. We talked about the Fournette, uh, Gardner Minshew a little bit less. But as a guy that didn't score a touchdown last week, has been pretty fantastic otherwise, I'll roll the dice uh, on DJ Chark and hope that he gets another 65, 75-plus yards receiving and a touchdown. Maybe if you're streaming a quarterback doing the Daily Fantasy thing this week, uh, what kind of uh, matchup do you like? for, Or what quarterback would you like with one of those matchups? Yeah, if you're streaming the quarterback, we actually talked about this on the Rotowire Tuesday podcast where we identify uh, free agent targets to pick up and, and go over. Uh, it's a great listen if you like to hear my co-host yep. give great facts and me just ramble on and on like I do here uh, for eh, 45 minutes to an hour. <laughs> uh, but the, the quarterback option, I feel so gross saying this, and, and it's it's disgusting to think about, but Ryan Tannehill actually has a pretty darn good match against the Buccaneers secondary. They've been inconsistent this year, but the Titans' offense overall has looked a little bit better with Tannehill under center. Mm-hmm. I think Corey Davis and A.J. Brown are, are two very talented wide receivers and should be able to do something. And we saw Tannehill last week against the Chargers secondary. That's kind of similar to the Buccaneers. He threw for over 300-plus yards. Both Davis and Brown had a pretty good game. Davis had close to 100 receiving yards and a touchdown. And I think you could do a lot worse than Tannehill when it comes to both streaming quarterbacks or looking for a, a cheap play at DFS. Josh Allen's out there, out there as well, and I imagine he's not going to be available to be picked up in free agent leagues, but at least in DFS purposes, against the Eagles secondary that cannot stop literally anybody from going for it feels like 40-plus points. I know Allen's turnover prone. The receiving core is great. But I do like a Duke Williams or John Brown certainly to do some damage against that secondary, and I have to imagine if you're an Eagles fan, you are very upset that you didn't get a Gary on Conley, you didn't get a Jalen Ramsey. And you also miss a Marcus Peters, which are probably the three best options that have been traded already this year. Yeah. The position that makes me pull out my hair the most, and I don't have much left, uh, the tight end position. Which, which matchups do you like this week? Yeah, I, I was actually talking with uh, Jerry on Twitter a little bit earlier today. And other than maybe seven guys like Darren Wall or Austin Hooper, Hunter Henry, George Kittle, Mark Andrews, Travis Kelsey, Zach Ertz, those types of guys, and Evan Ingram probably falls in that discussion. If you don't have those seven guys, I imagine literally everybody else is also pulling out their hair yeah. because it's a very frustrating situation, and there's a lot of, well, I guess I can roll with Jason Witten for four catches and 40 yards, or, yeah. well, hopefully Dallas Goddard falls into the end zone this week, and those things have happened. I, I wonder if a guy like Gerald Everett, who was a, a hot free agent pickup probably two or three weeks ago, 
isn't the best of the bad options at tight end this week. He had 10 targets against the Falcons. The Bengals have been very bad at stopping tight ends overall yep. this, this year. And maybe the, the passing attack, we saw Jared Goff do some things last week, continues to improve and Gerald Everett finds his way into the end zone. I like that one. I also think Jimmy Graham is, isn't the worst option. Even if Devontae Adams is back, that receiving core is banged up. We saw MBS only play 40% of the snaps, a little under 40% of the snaps last week. Uh, Jeremiah Allison isn't isn't that great, and Jimmy Graham, for despite all the all the times that he seems to slip on the field, still was able to find his way to 65 plus yards and uh, scored almost scored a touchdown two weeks ago against the Lions and scored one against uh, the Raiders. I think he could be an okay option too if you're kind of streaming the tight ends and looking for any sort of advantage. And of course, defenses. Uh, if you're streaming those, I know Jerry, big fan of those. So, so we would do that theme a little bit. Of course, my thing was always grab the defense that's next play in the Dolphins because that would help you out. But they actually scored some points last week. So, who would who are you looking at uh, this week for some defensive matchups you like? Well, it's funny you bring up the Dolphins defense. Of course, the Patriots are in historic pace right now. They are certainly not available at all in any sort of format. And I've had actually a lot of different Twitter questions saying, should I trade for the Patriots defense? The answer is no, short and simple, yes. but uh, I have much more long-winded concerns about that. That's the case. However, if you were to add up all the totals of the teams that played the Miami Dolphins this year, they would have been the second-highest-scoring defense right behind the Patriots. Yes. The fourth-highest-scoring defense was the one facing the Redskins. The yeah. third was the 49ers. So you can find matchups each and every week. I've been suggesting to a lot of people, and we'll go ahead and say it here too, being aggressive on targeting those bad teams, even if it means uh, having two defenses on your roster in preparation for the following week, is a big deal. I don't know if the Pittsburgh Steelers' defense is available off of considering that a buy last week, but if you were listening to my advice at all, they're probably already pick, picked up. And I think the same would go for the Vikings against the Redskins on Thursday night. So you kind of have to look at other directions out there. I think that you could make a case. Uh, I just talked about Ryan Tannehill doing pretty good. You could pick up a Titans defense and hope for a Jameis Winston bad game where he throws two or three interceptions or something like that. Yeah. The Titans defense has been pretty good overall. I do think the Packers defense against Matt Moore, despite my concerns, is probably a safer pick. And we know that their secondary gets turnovers. We also know they get sacks. Those are great opportunities for defense. And what's more likely to happen, right? Matt Moore tearing apart the Packers defense or being more like a 24-17, 24-13 type of game where – it's a little bit low scoring. Aaron Rodgers takes two false starts to lay up game penalties because the crowd's so loud and it's a back and forth contest. That one feels more like it to me. Mm-hmm. And I could see uh, the Packers defense being a big part of that scoreline. And once again, we're talking with RotoWire.com's Joe Bartle. Uh, tell us about that Tuesday podcast, the Waiver Wire podcast. Uh, give us some details on that. Folks can check that out. Yeah, uh, it's part of the RotoWire podcast um, group every, every day throughout the week. We have a different RotoWire podcast going on. Mondays normally recaps the game. Tuesday, my co-host and I, Jake Latarski, talk about the free agent additions, who you should go after. We also recap a little bit of the Monday stuff and generally take either questions from Twitter or really things that are bothering me in fans. We've had a, a few weeks where we talk about different trade opportunities for the Patrick Mahomes owners out there or DeAndre Hopkins. It normally is a pretty freewheeling thing, and, and we go into discussion more about that. Wednesdays on the RotoWire podcast, we, we hit normally a, an industry expert with Jeff Erickson, Thursdays they recap all or they run through all the Thursday games themselves, or I'm sorry, the week eight games or whatever else the games are going on that week. And then Friday is specifically DFS. So on those Tuesday podcasts, we touch on all the free agent options out there. We try to handle guys that are under 50% owned in Yahoo formats, just a baseline that, of course, is a sponsor for those podcasts. So we try to Mm -hmm. at least toe the line when it comes to that. But uh, also talk a little bit 
of other fantasy ramifications as well. So it's a it's probably the most all encompassing podcast of the weekly ones, but one that I really enjoy and what I spend a lot of my time doing throughout the week preparing for that podcast. Well, Joe, again, thank you very much for your time joining us uh, this week, and we'll uh, talk to you again uh, next week. All right, sounds great. Thanks for having me on. And that's going to wrap it up for this week's edition of the Fantasy Football Zone. Thank you so much for taking some time out, and hopefully you got some information to help you set your lineup this week. Again, you can always follow us on Twitter at DraftThatGuy. We'll see you over there, and again, good luck coming up here in Week 8. Subscribe to the Fantasy Football Zone and give us a five-star rating while you're at it. Follow us on Twitter at DraftThatGuy. Thanks for listening to the Fantasy Football Zone podcast.